0: Hi, this is Amanda and this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal to horrifying history to tense and terrible true crime and everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to our second episode this week. We are going to discuss the updates for Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell, or DeBall. We're in a silly, goofy mood tonight. Right when we started talking about Chad Daybell and his stupid face, we were like, (laughs) he had a lot of hearings and we had to look at his face a lot this month. Yeah. And it's it's hard to look at his frog face that long. What do you want? I'm just going to say for a good minute, I like stared at him to see if he moved because I was like, is this a still? Like, did he just put, like, a picture in front of this? He just, like, tapes it up there and goes back to bed. Completely unmoving. Like, still as hell. Maybe maybe somebody else saw a I didn't. He was just... He was in his portal, Lindsay. Oh, no. That was just his... I wanted to say exoskeleton. <laughs> his exoskeleton. <laughs> he is rather bug-like. But, yeah, he was in his portal. That was just, like, his human shell form. Watching. That was... That makes me think of Men in Black, Edgar. Yeah. A <laughs> little thing inside <laughs> Pretty much, right? So, yeah. Now that we've made fun of Chad for the appropriate amount of time, we can move on. Yeah, it's the uh, minimum required by law. <laughs> this, is. You're a lawyer, you would know. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I'm definitely, for sure. That's a for sure thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, well. I guess we could go. So (laughs) let's talk about Brandon Boudreaux's case first. And Gilbert County prosecutors have said that they will not be filing conspiracy to commit murder charges against Chad Daybell in relation to the attempted murder of Brandon Boudreaux. I am fascinated by that. I'm upset, but also not really surprised. I want all of them. I I want all of them listed on every single thing. I get it. I know. Like, believe me, I'm with you. I want them to be charged for all the things. But I don't think they would have as good of a case against him. They wouldn't. But he was still there helping move the seat and what the tire just he was part of it. And he just gets to be like, that's not me. I think it would be different if Alex was alive. Uh, Yeah, clearly. Yeah, you're right. But I think this whole case would be different if Alex was alive, actually. Like, yeah, I say it every time, but I don't think Alex died naturally. And I think that they puppeteered this whole thing together to make sure that it was easier on them later. And clearly it's working. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. There were a lot of filings this last month in March, and they were mostly procedural and didn't include new details. So we're, we're not going to cover every little filing. A lot of it was scheduling. So there's two different motions we're going to talk about in the associated hearings. The first is the motion to sever, which was filed by Pryor. And so basically what that is, is to sever the cases, because right now, yeah, it's one case. So motion to sever, to sever the cases between Laurie and Chad. What that would mean would be that they would tried separately. So they would run the case against one, then run the case against the, the other. Practically speaking, whoever gets the second case has a huge advantage, because they know how the prosecution is going to play this. They know everything the expert witnesses are going to do. They know the questions they're going to ask and how they're going to ask them. And a lot of the stuff you're going to know beforehand, right? Like expert witnesses are going to submit reports and it's from those reports that they're going to ask questions. So they know the source material, but they don't necessarily know how the prosecution's going to ask the question. They also don't know if they're going to lean more heavily on one person over the other. They don't know how they're going to question witnesses because, again, they have volumes and volumes and volumes of evidence, but they don't necessarily know what they're picking out as important. So interesting, interesting that he's going this route. Now, per Pryor's motion, the joinder is prejudicial. Pryor argues that Judge Boyce could deem the joinder prejudicial because Lori is still in a mental health facility and her case is stayed and that Lori has charges against her that are not levied upon Chad. I mean, maybe a couple. It's it's hard It's pretty easy to keep them separate, right? Because it's like the Social Security fraud, the evidence of that is very separate from the murder charges. Sort of. Because he did make some calls. He did make Chad DeBall. Chad DeBall did make some calls, but the calls for like Social Security were really things that she did, allegedly, right? It is. Yeah. He might have been doing outside work, but yeah. Yeah. But also, we can agree that it is likely better for Chad to be by himself. Yeah, for sure. People are going to view a mother who possibly murdered her children, I think she did, way worse than him. Like, it's still a terrible thing he did. I I think he deserves, like, death penalty, too. But I think he has a better shot if they're not together. He does. And they can take a different uh, stand in a way too. Like they can play to different things if he's separate. But if they're together, those might not make as much sense. Yeah. So at the motion for Severance hearing, Pryor argued a few different points. The first is that he's unaware of Lori's current competency status. And then he's also not privy to any updates on that. So because of that, he can't appropriately prep for trial. He also said, interestingly, this part, that the prosecution should provide the statements they will be using in trial so that the court can determine whether there would be significant conflict between the parties. By significant conflict, it's a pretty high standard from what I understand, but it's basically like if you convict one, you would have to basically say the other is not guilty or vice versa. Clearly, there's one bad actor and they are completely adverse to one another. Like She's going to get up there and say terrible things about him and he's going to get up there and say terrible things about her. And it's just going to muddy the whole case. Judge Boyce pointed out that the requirement to avoid prejudice, which would be the grounds to sever the case, are narrow and would only include statements and confessions that either Chad or Lori made while in custody after they were Mirandized. Hmm. And so they would have to be statements that were prejudicial to the other party, too. So it's not just things they said. It's things they said that would be adverse to the other party. So if that so, Laurie said something about Chad and vice versa. So Lindsey Blake for the state noted that they aren't aware of any such statements. And we aren't either. Right. Like we've seen so many details about this case. We've never seen anything about Laurie or Chad talking to law enforcement after they were arrested. Correct. That's true like answering questions saying she did this or he did that not after being arrested no yeah so blake goes on to say that there's not any statements but if there's something that you're thinking of that you want us to provide let us know and so when you're looking at a case and you're looking at all of the procedural soup that gets you to the trial there are different issues that are going to arise and the burden of proof in those situations and or the burden of doing some legwork varies based on what it is so for this particular issue It would be on the state to provide those statements to the court so that the court could make a determination as to whether the joinder is prejudicial. So Pryor basically says, that's your responsibility to do. I'm not going to do it for you. And Blake's like, but I don't have any. And I'm, I'm just trying to tell you I don't have any, but I'm willing to work with you if you think if there's something that you've seen in the evidence that you think that we should have been providing. Right. And so in this motion to sever, this is not just going to affect Chad, right? It's also going to affect Laurie. And so Blake asked the court to wait on their decision whether the case should be severed until Laurie's counsel can file motions in support or opposition. Alternatively, if a decision was rendered, Blake asked if it could be without prejudice so that additional motions could be filed by Laurie or Chad if there's additional information gleaned. And just as a note, because of Laurie's competency, her case is stayed, which means nothing at all can be filed. If it's outside of her competency and making sure things are sealed or hearings or those kinds of things, that's all that's happening. So Blake also noted that the trial is scheduled for 10 weeks. And if the cases were to be split, it would result in a 20 week stint of trials that has substantially the same witnesses, evidences and expert witnesses. Plus, you know, the cost of doing that. The significant cost. Yeah, significant cost. I mean, like 20 weeks, that's five months. That's a long time. So Blake also said there's no precedent that shows that stating that a delay in a co-defendant's case has been grounds alone for a severance. And Pryor tried to rebut saying it's not a delay, it's uncertainty of timing, because he's basically like, I can't prepare for my case if I don't know when her stay is going to be lifted. And because I don't know when her stay is going to be lifted, I don't know if this case is going to be severed. So how can I prepare for a possible trial beginning in January if she's not even going to be out by then, And what Blake said time and time again was basically, we don't know the future and we can't make decisions now based on possible events. We have to cross those bridges when we get there. So Judge Boyce denied Chad's motion to sever the cases. So at this point, they're going to remain together. Yes, which I'm happy for, for a number of reasons. So when asked, Kay Woodcock said that she is relieved that Judge Boyce ordered that the cases not be severed. It's going to be incredibly painful for her. So I am sure she is glad to not have to live through that twice. Could you imagine having to spend 20 weeks of your life? No. Because she's going to be in that courtroom. Yeah. It was their their boy and Tylee like they they want to make sure they get justice. Yeah, and her brother ultimately like that he's not going to be playing a role in these hearings, but it still, you know, plays into what happened. Yeah, exactly. So, the other motion that I wanted to talk about was the motion to dismiss the grand jury indictment. The grand jury when they vote, they have ballots, and their names aren't on them, they're numbered cuz you're not just going to be like here's the grand jury's name. And so what prior received was these ballots that were numbered. And so, from what I understood, The egregious thing that the prosecution did, other than not having a quote unquote impartial grand jury, was that they didn't provide the name list that went along with the numbers. And Blake said, well, the grand jury ballots are numbered to protect grand jurors and that they're highly secretive and that they can't provide those names without a court order. So, accordingly, Judge Boyce then ordered the state to supply those names. Judge Boyce did not rule on the motion to dismiss because he's waiting for documentation from the state. And they set out a timeline for them to do that and then time for the defense to respond. On Laurie's side, there really isn't much going on other than the fact that she's still not competent to stand trial. There were sealed filings and closed hearings, which leads us to think that the facilities report that was submitted recently showed that Laurie was still not competent. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people talking online too. like, oh, well, they don't want this because they're getting ready to move her. And there's so many different rumors circulating. No one actually knows at this moment. Our guess is that she's not competent, but it is not out there in the world. Yeah. It's so bizarre for there to be so little now. Right. Now we're like, uh, something happened. Tell us the answer. Yeah. We're used to like an even flow of water and we're like, someone stopped this up. We're used to Mark Means tweeting it out five seconds later. So let us know what you're thinking about the case. As always, we're only going to release updates if there actually is something. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. Maybe she will be confident. We'll let you know. Yeah. Yeah. And if you haven't already listened to our True Crime Digest, it was our 12th one. And that also came out today. So make sure to go back to that. Yeah. And with that, have a good weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps.